When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? You were, you were all excited the last time we spoke because you were off to see that there blur with Paul Weller and the selector. Was it a good gig? Oh, it was ab- absolutely amazing. Um, between between us, uh, myself and the Baroness knew every single song that was sung, <laughs> of which the Baroness knew one song from the three artists. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I love the selector. I think Pauline Black is an amazing performer. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Paul Weller was on good form, and and then Blur. It's it quite emotional. Uh, Damon Albarn broke down in tears at one oh, stage. Really? It, it clearly clearly meant a lot to him because they've not, yeah they've not been yeah we're selling out Wembley Stadium. Two nights in a row. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, true, truly fantastic. Yeah, absolutely made up. Uh, well, talking of the Baroness, um, <laughs> I was going to say partly at her insistence, but 100% at her insistence. Uh, we're having a break uh, in the next couple of weeks. There will still be pods uh, for you, of course. Uh, one of them is the long-awaited uh, Nostalgia pod. We will be talking about the start of the Premier League, probably the most seismic thing to happen to football finance in the past century. Um, And if you think Kieran sounds a little bit giddy, it's because as part of that pod, we've just interviewed a man who was very much at the centre of changing the image of football at the same time. Uh, And I'm I'm a big fan of this person. Kieran is a massive fanboy of this person. Uh, So would you like to tell us who it is, Kieran? Yes, it's 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 James Brown. Uh, anybody who was around in the early nineties, first of all, James uh, was was editor at the the NME, um, and then he went on to form Loaded. And when that happened, you know, I was I was about twenty nine. It, it was just just seismic, yeah, you know, sort of adult adult articles written on just insane things. So yeah, for for, for anybody that loved music and football and wanted to know a bit more about the world loaded was a was an absolutely brilliant publication so he's, he's written this book called animal house about his his life and he, it's uh you know he's been very honest in it you know the ups and the downs and the challenges that he's had due to due to lifestyle consequences of of the time uh but yeah it, it's it's a great book uh but yeah for me i was in pure fanboy mode but also he, he had some really interesting and uh slightly unexpected i thought insight 
into the way football changed at the time. So I think you'll look forward to the interview. Kieran got, I've never heard Kieran get so excited because uh, James Brown mentioned John Peel and the Jesus and Mary chain and the song Love on the Terraces in the same sentence. I thought, <laughs> like a like a Victorian lady swooning, I thought I was going to have to get the smelling salts to bring Kieran back. And then uh, I got very excited because literally the last thing uh, James said in the interview was, then I tackled Dr. Robert from the Blow Monkeys from behind and he stayed down for ages. So, <laughs> the perfect way to end an interview. We will look forward to that. We've got a couple of special interview pods and question pods for you. We're only away for, for two weeks, so there's three normal pods that we won't be doing, but we have a more than adequate replacement uh, for you. Um, today's pod, oh, I'm almost reluctant to start today's pod, Kieran, because... Mm. Uh, uh, our excitement of what we've just been up to won't be matched by the fans of two clubs that we've been talking about for a long, long time. And things are not getting any better for Southend United. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're recording this at uh, at twelve thirty on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, now, Southend United were in fact in court this morning, um, and there's a little bit of good news in the sense that. The judge uh, was looking at a winding up order from HMRC. There was a genuine chance, I think, that uh, Ron Martin, the the club owner, who's one of those people that just seems to get off on brinkmanship, Mm. um, he's managed to secure another 42 days uh, grace with regards to the £275,000, which is unpaid and owing to HMRC. Um, That has been done effectively on the proviso that during those 42 days, uh, the, the sale of the club will be completed. Um, I believe that there are some outstanding issues with regards to the stadium. And from day one of ownership, Ron Martin's objective has effectively been to, to, to flatten Roots Hall and replace it with residential and move the club out of town. Um, and you know, he's, he's, he's a property person. Um, I'll, I'll try and temper some of my views on him. But um, I th- things are getting quite uh, quite frosty. Uh, a, a group of fans turned up outside his house uh, a couple of days ago. And you know, if, if that's done peacefully and, and courteously, that there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But by all accounts, he, he did say that uh, the sale is, is taking longer than expected uh, due, due, to the, uh, due, due to the stadium issues. Um, they finally got round. They, they published accounts for 2020 and 21, but not for 2022. Uh, you've got some. You've got some people on payroll who have not been paid for up to four months, which is wow. pretty inexcusable. Um, as a result of that, they're under a transfer embargo. They're not allowed to sign players un- unless the number of players in the squad goes beneath 16. Now, players are leaving because they they, they want some certainty. Um, and with the ridiculous situation last week, I think we spoke uh, last week and we said, well, the players are not in training because they're effectively on strike because they hadn't been paid their, their June wages. Those June wages were paid. Um, they came in for training. And I, and I, might, I might have misread this, but I, I might not. Effectively, they were allowed to do sort of conditioning training, but they weren't allowed to tackle each other because n- nobody's paid the medical bill. So, oh, so they've got, they got no medical cover. And and this is just how ridiculous it is. Yes, they can go to training, but um, you can't go in the showers because Ron Martin's not paid the the gas bill, so therefore so the water bill and the water's been turned off. And 
yeah, so many of these things take us back to the behaviour of Steve Dale yeah. at Berry, which which effectively, you know, was, was one of the sort of the the, the sparks which which dis- lit produce a guy to get us together and to to start this show. Um, and, and I think it's indicative that uh, yeah, the more things change, the more things stay the same as far as football ownership is concerned. Which is which is which is such a shame. There are brilliant owners out there, and then there's not brilliant owners. I realise I might be clutching at straws here, Kieran, but I'm I'm trying to find some good news for Southend fans. So, the 42 day um, stay of execution, if you like. Um, could be good news because it does indicate that there is a serious buyer and that the club is going to change hands. But the bad news is if there isn't, <laughs> I dread to think what happens if there isn't because it doesn't seem to me like he, he's finally got the money to pay this tax bill. Um, or he's he's got it and he's not he's not willing to give it to, to Southend to pay it. I mean, there, there was... and. and We've got the start of the season coming up, and we've got the integrity of the sport. And it, you remember, it was only four years ago that that Berry started the season, effectively putting out you know an, an under seventeen team for yeah. for the first few fixtures, and they were being absolutely tonked all over the place. And that that wasn't fair on on the kids who were playing the matches, um, and it it wasn't fair potentially on the the the, the other teams in the division because. Yeah, they they were saying one of their potential promotion rivals, you know, dishing it out to Berry. So you know, there have been uh, a lot of challenges. The National League, I understand, have had a meeting with the local MP. There was representations from DCMS there, from the Shrimpers Trust. Uh, I think Mark Ives, who who we've interviewed from uh, the National League. So there there clearly is. Uh, a degree of seriousness being taken as to the plight of the club. But ultimately, this comes down to cash and whether Ron Martin is going to continue to pay, play this game. And it is a game. Yeah. Um, well, but, it's, it is, but it's not, though, is it, Kieran? That's the thing. Well, it's, it's a game to him because yeah. he's not the one that's gone four months without wages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you do feel very sorry for the people there. And yeah, we've said from day one. Doesn't matter whether you're a South End fan or a Manchester United fan, a Barcelona fan, uh, a Berry fan. You, you love your club, and yeah, it it, it sounds twee, but it's not. You, you don't. The thought of going to bed knowing that you might not have a football club to support in, mm. in 24 hours' time it is a horrible, horrible one. And, and the fact as well is, I mean, it's, it's almost like a fucking sitcom, but. The idea of players not tackling each other—it's not to do with medical insurance, I imagine. It's—it's it's also not damaging some of the few assets they have that they could potentially sell. Scunthorpe United are the other club we've been talking about way too much, Kieran, and their latest accounts at least are out. But do they make any better reading for Scunthorpe fans? Um, well, these are the accounts for twenty-one, twenty-two. Um, now. Under so therefore they they represent the, the effectively the last full year of the previous owner Peter Swan. Uh, my, my view of Peter Swan was that he I don't think he was a very good decision maker, um, but he did put an awful lot of money into the club in in the last ten years of of ownership of 
uh, Scunthorpe United, the club lost twenty eight million pounds. Yeah, we're, we're talking. Yeah, that's a huge amount of money, mm. um, and that was because wages on average were one hundred and forty pounds for every hundred pounds that came in. So you were, you were losing a fortune before you you kicked the first ball. Um, what's what's disappointing for me is that. A lot of criticism can be levelled his way. I I get that from Scunthorpe fans. Um, At least I could always read the accounts and and work out why the numbers were as bad as they were. Well, we've now got new owners who have come in and they've said, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to go down the route of minimum disclosure of information. So all that I can work out is the club did lose money. Um, realistically, they probably lost in that season, I think, around about six hundred grand, which by Scunthorpe standards is actually not too bad. Um, there's, there's, I think, having a lack of transparency is an issue. What we have seen um, is that there appears to be ongoing discussions with regards to the sale of the stadium. So David Hilton is the new owner of the football club, but Peter Swan was still the owner of the stadium. Um, I've seen documents in the past few days which indicate that the the original offer for the stadium of £3 million appears to be still uh, still, uh, taking place. Um, I think, in effect, uh, until that sale has gone through, then uh, the new owners are willing to pay £10,000 a month in rent, um, provided Peter Swan does not oppose the the planning permission um, which which the new owner has in respect of the stadium. And I think he's trying to put up some industrial units or, or to generate rent or something else in that way. It all seems a bit strange. Originally, I think we discussed this a couple of months ago, there was something called the 1899 scheme where um, the club was going to try to find 1,899 people to put up 1,899 pounds each mm. uh, because that's the year that the club was formed. Um, but that looks like there's been a very low take-up. So th- I think that was going to be used to fund the acquisition of the stadium. So how it's now going to be funded, we, we don't know. Um, it's it, it's messy. Um, you know, I know some journalists that have tried to run stories but been unable to run the stories for a variety of reasons, and that uh, that's adds to the frustration. Um, you know what my short-term memory is like. It was Scunthorpe recently that asked for people to volunteer to be a director, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. So, you know, you, you would hope that that would help, um, although – Again, there's a myriad of stories going round. You know, we, we discussed it at the time that if people were going to volunteer that time, their time would be great. Um, social media, where I think you have to take everything with a modicum of uh, wariness and weariness these days. Um, you know, I, I was sent messages to say, well, if, effectively, you had to go and pay a joining fee to become a director. Uh, but, I, but I don't know whether that's the case or not. Um, right. and, and to be fair, there have been some new directors appointed at Scunthorpe, and I, and I think that's for the benefit of the club as a whole. Um, and producer Guy would like us to point out that uh, the new owners of Scunthorpe are, of course, perfectly legally entitled to release only minimum information, aren't they? Yes, yes, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, my, my view is that if somebody was trying to persuade me to put £1,900 into a football club, and I've had a bit of a beef with regards to Peterborough United, you know, Peterborough yes, had, had the posh bond, um, then full and frank and an early disclosure, because you are now you want people to be stakeholders in the club financially. 
then I think you you have a, a duty to them as well to to be straight up with them. But uh, yeah, this this is this is a bit disappointing. It, it it doesn't cost you anything to, to to publish the full numbers, and also as far as the new owners are concerned, this is all to do with the previous year under Peter Swan. So there, there's you're effectively not reporting on yourself anyway. Do you know, Kieran, I'm looking at the list of stories for the rest of this podium, and, and you, you know I like to inject a bit of humour, if possible, Kieran, or as some people would say, crowbar, a bit of humour, <laughs> if possible. But looking at today's list of stories, I'm not entirely sure where I can do that. So we we might have to have a two-minute chat about Dr. Robert from Blow Monkeys again, essentially, and <laughs> and love on the terraces. I, I presume, Kieran, you know, serious drinking, they were... Uh, well, oh, yes. I, I, I presume you've no, seen... They were Palace fans, weren't they? I, not to my knowledge, no, no. no Car- okay. uh, Carter and the Unstoppable. Six I know Carter. Were, they were yeah, Palace yeah. fans. Oh, I should doubt. Not to my knowledge, but I, I presume you'll have seen the Serious Drinking Tribute Band recently, Kieran, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, I haven't. Not yet. Not okay. yet. It's on my list. On my in, list. In, in the, uh, I went out of a, a girl once who claimed to have had a one night stand with Doctor Robert from the Blow Monkeys. I've never had that verified, and I suspect I will go to my grave not doing so, unless. Dr. Robert thinks to himself, hello, they've got a nostalgia pod on next week with James Brown. I might tune into that and see if he mentions the time he tackled me. Um, if you're listening, Dr. Robert, that would be – oh, no, you'll be listening to next week. Never mind. Uh, one of our very first stories, Kieran, back in the early days, was um, a slightly odd debt owned by Carlisle United, and it's still rumbling on. Yeah, this this is uh, very, very surreal. C- Cardiff – um, were sort of quasi-owned by a company Carlyle. called Edinburgh. Sorry, Carlisle. Yeah. Were owned by a company called Edinburgh Woolen Mill, who went into administration. And Carlisle owed uh, EDW, uh, so EWL, um, uh, over two million pounds. And what happened was the administrators sold the debt to a company called PurePay. And what PurePay have been doing is they've been doing things. A, they've been charging interest on the debt. But B, they've been refusing to talk to Carlisle with regards to the repayment. And therefore, we've had, you know, interest rates have gone up. So Carlisle are now paying, I think it's £3,500 a week, or they're accruing £3,500 a week um, in interest as far as this debt. But it, yeah, if I owed money to a bank and I wanted to repay it, I'd pop down to the yeah, you know, pop into the branch if there's such a thing as a branch yeah. a bank these days, um, and say I want to give you some money. Here it is. But PurePay refused to come to the table. They just won't enter into discussions. And the the guy that owns PurePay, who's who's sort of pretending that he isn't, is is a very very successful. Uh, businessman called Philip Day, and, and he's—I think he used to own the likes of Jaeger and uh, sort of many, many places on the high street. Um, he's he's a billionaire in his own right. He's he's done fantastically well. Um, he, uh, I think, he lives officially in Switzerland, but he was also got a place in Dubai. You know, he's 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 reaped the rewards of of being very good at what he does. Um, and in my research on him, apparently he bought his first helicopter from Mike Ashley, uh, another uh, <laughs> a, a tenuous link to football there. Um, you know, Mike Ashley's chopper. Uh, I think that's a that's a Viz <laughs> cartoon strip, isn't it? Um, but that, that's for another show. Um, so it's just a, a, a weird one. And Carlisle is, I think, is 
certainly one of the better clubs in my view in terms of the board of directors, the level of transparency. They, they're very open. Uh, their accounts, from my point of view, are, are absolutely brilliant. I give them six stars out of five. Yeah, the level of transparency yeah. there. Um, and they have, uh, they've also got a habit of, if, when they have meetings with supporters groups, they, they put up all the minutes and uh, yeah, that allows people to to work out exactly what's what's taking place. So it's, it, it's messy, but, you know, Carlisle is is not a wealthy area, um, and uh, it would just be useful if if they managed to, to get round the table together and get it sorted. Yeah, and and it's exactly the same with Scunthorpe. You know, people talking is not a bad thing. It's it's a good thing. Um, and why Pure Pay seem so reluctant to to move forwards in relation to this is beyond me. I'm still trying to get my head around the idea of a highly successful businessman called Day. He, <laughs> he must be one of the Berkshire Days, I imagine. Kieran is certainly not from my branch of the family. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Why, what's the, uh, do we know, Kieran, sorry, I was momentarily, literally momentarily distracted by uh, three magpies in the garden, and I was trying to work, I was trying to work out whether that one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, and oh, that doesn't get yeah. any further. Were you, were you a magpie or Blue Peter growing uh, up? My, for some reason, my mum's only attempt at making us middle class when I was growing up was to make me watch Blue Peter. Really? She, yeah, she thought that was class. She used to make me watch Blue Peter and all right. So I used to have the occasional historical story, but I, 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 let's face it, I was never going to make an, an advent calendar uh, out of <laughs> out of coat hangers. But uh, I was I was very much uh, a magpie fan. But I'm I'm afraid that was mainly because of Susan Strength's habit of not wearing a bra. Uh, and at the age of eleven, that's the sort of thing that makes you far more interested in watching a, a show rather than the antics of a baby elephant on Blue Peter. Uh, I'm, I'm not proud of that. Uh, you've completely distracted me now. Um, I did once wonder whether the magpie thing goes up high. It's like, you, you know, if you see 25 magpies, it, it means you're going to get a visitor from a stranger. I don't know. Uh, so, it's, it's, again, how easily are we distracted? How much do Carlisle United own uh, on the debt? Because it's, I mean, it's four years, and they were still they were paying it then. They're still paying it. Interest yeah. is going. Do we know how much they still have? To it's, pay? it's it's the most uh, the most up to date figure is two point seven million pounds. Oh, now, it's the size of the amount. So it's not yeah. the sort. Of, it's not the sort of amount of money they can suddenly say, right, let's pay this off. No, no, no. It's it's not buckets outside the right. Okay. Uh, it's not buckets outside the ground. Let's get it sorted. So it's and and what they'd be looking for is you know some form of schedule uh, or ideally. Um, for Philip Day to say, 
uh, I tell you what, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a a big-hearted soul. Um, I, I understand the importance of Carlisle United to the the identity of the of the town and the surrounding area. Um, I'm going to write off the debt. Yeah, I'm not saying they're always mutually exclusive, Kieran, but highly successful businessman slash big-hearted soul doesn't often go together, does it? Would is is it purely? I imagine it's in pure pays interest, isn't it? If interest rates are going up so much, it's in their interest not to have it paid back. Um, yes, but. Yeah, if, if I'm if I'm a billionaire, yeah, three and a half grand a week on a loan ain't, ain't, ain't going to touch the sides, is it? It's, oh, that's true. So I, I just can't understand the logic behind the the strategy. Well, maybe he's distracted by all those helicopter flights. True, could be. Uh, Huddersfield Town have got some money coming their way, hopefully. Yes, um, Huddersfield have just published their accounts for twenty one twenty two. So as you can imagine, uh, I was at Giddy City um, at, uh, at the company's house website when they came out at <laughs> 10 past six on a Monday morning. Look, and, and somebody once said to me, some, I was at a, giving a talk recently, and somebody came up to me after me and said, you do realise you're the most rock and roll thing in accountancy. <laughs> I'm going, I, I, I really, yeah, okay, that, that's, yeah. We, we've got an interview with James Brown coming up. That's a rock and roll life, lifestyle. And if you read yeah, the books, yeah, uh, me, yeah, me, me, it's yeah, sort of. You know, if I if I have all the same colours from a, a pack of fruit pastels together, I feel I'm being quite daring. Uh, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, so yes, I, I, w- I was looking at the accounts, and I think yeah, Huddersfield. I think fans have been a bit bit disillusioned since the club was um, was was relegated, and they, they've they've not got back as yeah, clearly they wanted to get back to the Premier League, but I think they've they've used the parachute payments in the way that it, they've been intended to do. They they've managed to get all of the high earners off the the wage bill now. Um, income was down a third in twenty one twenty two. They used that to reduce the wages. They've and what they've done is that they've sold players. So so the the the, the total cost of the squad went down from about twenty million pounds to sort of two million pounds over the course of the season, and they've sold players. But what they're doing is what we're seeing time and time again. They're selling players on credit. So, yes, they've got a little bit of cash uh, in the bank. But the good news, uh, to which you referred at the start of the uh, the, the question, is that they've got around about £12 million, which is due to them from player sales, which will come in over 22, 23 and beyond. So that, in addition to sort of the tapering of the, the parachute payments, at least that means from a from – a, uh, a cash flow point of view, that should be okay. And they've got the new owner, Kevin Nagel, who's come in and has bought the club from Dean Hoyle. So I, I think if, if I was sort of assessing their finances for a championship club, I'd, I'd certainly say that they were in the, uh, they, they would be in an upper quartile in terms of sustainability and yes, all, all of the dull things, um, which, uh, which are actually quite good uh, in terms of, having confidence that your club's still going to be there. Now, this next story, Kieran, has taken on a slightly spooky aspect now because it, <laughs> it, it was just going to be a story about proof of your theory that Mike Ashley is actually, whatever you think of him as a football club owner, is a very, very successful businessman. But not only does it turn out that Philip Dave uh, of Pure Pay bought his first helicopter from, from mm-hmm. Mike Ashley, but Mike Ashley's company is called Mash Holdings. And, of course, the opening credits of the seminal sitcom MASH featured helicopters. 
This is just, just wheels within wheels, this story. But so, yes, yeah, so uh, Mash Holdings have made quite the profit from selling Newcastle United. Yes, they, they've made a profit of £195 million. Pounds. Um, so the, 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 the accounts confirmed that the club had been sold for £305 million. I think that was the, the number that was doing the rounds. I must confess, um, you know, we've, we said that Mike Ashley is, is good at making money. Um, that's looking a bargain. Uh, from the PIF point of view, if you think that Manchester United are potentially going for five to six billion, then uh, you know Saudi PIF acquired Newcastle United for one twentieth of the price of Manchester United. Now Manchester United is a bigger brand; nobody's denying that. But I wouldn't. Nobody would say that Manchester United is twenty times the size of Newcastle United. So it looks like a good deal from PIF point of view. Mike Ashley, he he knows how to make money, and he's very very good at buying and selling. And I, and I went into again went into the full accounts of Mash Holdings and all of the deals that he's done over the year. Um, he's even bought uh, he's, he's bought Bob Woolmer's old company. You know, Bob Woolmer, God rest his soul, was a I didn't even know he had a company, but it's the fact that um, he's he's able to 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 spot brands and to buy them uh, cheap and sell them at higher prices is is, is where he is uh, in in the pantheon of rich individuals in this country today, Bob Woolmer, the cricketer. Bob Woolmer, the, well, I, I can I can only presume so. I can't think oh. of anybody else. What's the company? Um, I, I presume it's some sort of sport. It could be a, a sports tourism company or something like that. Oh, okay. But it's uh, uh, you know, Bob Woolmer was. Uh, I, I remember him making his debut, batting at number eight for England. Wow! Uh, and then he then he sort of then became an opener. It was it was, it was uh, a Proper, proper late seventies, eighties cricketer, you know, dour but effective. Yeah, do you know what? We're turning to Wikipedia on this show, aren't we? <laughs> this is your go-to source for possibly one hundred percent accurate information. Uh, at last, Kieran, we're able to bring Man United fans some closure. Some closure for Man United fans. Unfortunately, it's closure on their policy on ticket touting. Yes, um, this is this is an intriguing one now. I've mentioned on one or two occasions before that uh, historically touting at Old Trafford has been quite lucrative because I know one person who, and I've not lived in Manchester now for a couple of years, but he used to be able to get up to 80 tickets yeah, for a whole home match at Old Trafford. Um, and he says, yeah, if I'm honest, Kieran, it's it's when the likes of Brighton and Palace are coming to Old Trafford because the regular United fans, especially if the match has been changed to a, a twelve thirty kickoff on a Saturday or a you know, two pm kickoff on on a Sunday, they they're they're pretty indifferent. Yeah. Um. So so they'll they'll find somebody. So he used to make he used to get, have a you know a, a proper living in this. Now with the with the move to digitization uh, and sort of uh, with respect to tickets, things have become more complex with the touts. United, I would say, are one of those clubs that have historically had more of a laissez-faire approach uh, to tickets. And that goes for both home and away fans. You know, trying to get an away ticket for Manchester United is, uh, is you, you enter the, the Harry Potter era of dark arts in yeah. case of you know, who you know and points and so on. Um, but uh, what Manchester United have done is that they've they've changed the terms? Um, they, they're saying we're, we're concerned that fans are selling their tickets at above face value and making money on the side. And 
what they they had said last season was that you had to attend physically at least 50% of home games because like like many clubs they've got a uh, you know a, a resale uh, area on the website yeah. now they're increasing that to 75% and if fans are saying well I was wasn't matches at one stage and this is where I felt yeah, this is a bit big brotherish um they were they were getting they were checking fans on CCTV to check it oh, was them wow. um or they were threatening to do so and i think that there was a bit of a hoo ha um and rightly so you know you're, you're football fans you, you're not we're not uh, in in squid game or anything like that um but what now appears to be the case um and, and i've seen this quoted from united fans and i know it was in one of the the dailies as well was that if fans were uh, wanting to Say well, I can't attend a particular match. Manchester United says, "Okay, we'll we'll buy back the the tickets from you." Um, and if you, the fan, you say, "Well, you know, I've got a ticket which would normally cost you know forty quid, fifty quid, whatever it's going to be," and if I go and sell it to seventy quid to a couple of tourists, you're a bad person. What Manchester United will now do is they'll buy back the fans from you. They'll give you your one nineteenth of your season ticket, and then they will resell that ticket into the hospitality sector. Now. This, this isn't going to one of the posh lounges. This is effectively being taken to a warehouse in, in Trafford Park. Um, you, know, you, get a, you get a free pie. You, you probably get a chance to have your, a selfie with Mickey Thomas or <laughs> Gary Pallister uh, or, or, or something like that. And they'll charge you 350 to 40 quid, 400 quid for the privilege. Right. So, so, so who's the tout in all of this? Yeah. You know, if, if I do that as a fan and, and make 20 quid, I'm a bad person, according to the Glazers. If Manchester United do it, it's, it's just part of the, you know, the supply and demand. And this is the, the Americanization. I'm not saying this in a ne- negative way, the Disneyfication. Um, certainly as far as the attitude towards tickets for events are concerned in the USA, this is seen as the norm. And, and, and I was uh, I had a discussion with some people on social media, and they were saying uh, for for NFL, for, for yeah, for, for some of the big matches in the NBA, they can effectively sell you know, one or two tickets uh, during a season, and that will cover them for the rest of the season in terms of getting their season ticket prices back. And they use it; they use the places. I think it's like via GoGo and Seatwave and mm. so on, which are licensed ticket touting sites and uh, yeah i'll hold up my arm yeah if, if i if there's a particular gig that i want to go and see i'll, I'll be a hypocrite here because i say i don't particularly like them i i will pay yeah if, it, if, it's, if it's a band that i'm desperate to see or a performer um then then i'll pay the, the touted prices and i'll, I'll you pay it through your teeth, and that is becoming more and more common. Yeah, we, we've just seen the the Taylor Swift tickets go on sale for next summer. Well, some of the prices being asked, and, and this is through these websites, is is uh, quite astronomical. And yeah, you've worked in the entertainment industry all your life. I can can add up. Um, we are both fully aware that for some artists, what will happen is that the manager or the management team of a particular artist will say, well, we're selling 60,000 tickets, but we want 10,000 of those for ourselves. And then we will sell them on these particular websites and make even more money than we're making already. So it's, it's, it's an awkward one. Yeah. I, I don't personally have an issue with, with a regular fan uh, selling the odd ticket and making a, a few extra quid on the back of it. Um, if, if the fact, if the, 
if the clubs are then saying, well, that's not acceptable, but it's acceptable for us to do it, I, th- I think there's, it, it stinks of hypocrisy. I, I, I'm afraid the only thing I took out of that, Kieran, was, was Taylor Swift, um, which I seem to have written down about 100 times in a, in a kind of Jack Nicholson style. Uh, red rub, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. Um, you, you don't see Taylor Swift? No, no, I'm not going to see Taylor oh, Swift. Oh, good. It was an example. It was just an example. Yeah, it was an example. Oh, yeah. thank God. Right, I'll start crossing them out. Yeah, no, no, I've not, I've, not, I've not sold out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, many clubs from the Championship and in the Premier League, most in the Premier League, now have uh, a waiting list for season tickets. Mm. Here, but um, enterprising fans at one Premier League club have found a way around it. Well, yes, they have. Uh, it, it's not a cheap solution, ah. but it is a solution. So... Um, here we're talking Arsenal. If you want a season ticket for Arsenal, realistically, there's a five to ten year waiting list. Um, so, you know, clearly people will be frustrated at that. However, um, when Arsenal moved to the Emirates, uh, they, they borrowed some money from sort of the traditional sources, but they also borrowed money from Arsenal fans in the form of a debenture bond, which is effectively where the fan lends the football club money. Um, And we got debentures at uh, Wimbledon, and Mm. they they bring privileges. And one of the privileges of owning an Arsenal debenture is that it gives you the right to buy a season ticket. So what we've seen over the course of the last year is is the the price of these debentures because Arsenal had a fantastic year and they're in the Champions League in twenty three twenty four. Uh, we've seen the price of these debentures uh, quadruple, and then they're now going for up to to twelve and a half thousand pounds. They were around about three grand a year ago, um, and people are saying, "Well, I'm willing to pay that." And it's a bit it's a bit like uh, yeah, I'm, I've never been a golf player, but I've friends that have played golf when when you join a golf club you have to pay an entrance fee and then you go and pay your annual subs this looks like something like yeah yeah people paying 12 grand just for the privilege of subsequently being able to go and buy a season ticket at arsenal let's face it arsenal season ticket prices are pretty high eye-watering for for those who are on the season ticket uh rotor so that's that's what we've got. We've now got, a, a, it's not ticket touting, it's a secondary market for debentures. Um, these are loans which aren't going to be repaid by Arsenal for a very long time. And you can effectively sell the money which is owed to you by Arsenal at far in excess of its face value. Yeah, there is another way to access uh, seats at Arsenal, Kieran, and that's to become a comedian uh, or actor and become a client of at least two showbiz agencies I know who have between them eight season tickets at Arsenal, which they use as a way of um, uh, impressing potential clients and potential broadcasters and so on. So I I presume that's the same at quite a few Premier League clubs where some of the more expensive, shall we say, hospitality seats are taken up en masse. You mentioned the Champions League, Kieran, and that takes us to the Conference League and our penultimate story, which is a story, again, we mentioned last week, this, this story about the, the FA selling their broadcasting rights to the Premier League, which is a story I think that should have been getting much greater profile. And this next story about a world-famous football club, Kieran, seems to have 
almost completely slipped under the radar, and this should be a huge story. Yes, this is a classic case of gaming the system. Mm. Now, um, Juventus were involved in, um, I don't know what the Italian is for financial shenanigans, but Juventus were certainly involved in them uh, to the extent that they suffered a points deduction in 22-23. And this was to do with various issues, to do with payroll, to do with transfers and so on. Um, and uh, to be fair to the Italian authorities, they, they did investigate. They, they, they're not waiting four years to, to make a decision. Um, and, and they said to Juventus, right, you're having a points deduction um, on the back of this. And as a consequence of that, Juventus dropped out of the Champions League places and into the Europa Conference League places. Now, you or I, Kevin, uh, you know, chance to play in Europe, Conference League, we, I'd, we'd snap it up. We'd be absolutely delighted. But <sighs> Well, yes, Kieran, as we all know, one of us has the chance to do that, Kieran. So, yes, let's move on. But, yeah, I would – no, I'd, I'd take it or leave it, Kieran, to be honest. Europe doesn't, really? doesn't – no, I'm, I'm perfectly happy finishing somewhere between 12th and 14th. <laughs> Probably 12th. Probably 12th, actually. <laughs> Crack on. <laughs> um, but what Juventus have said – because you don't make any money in the Europa Conference League, sorry, in, in the UEFA Conference League, um, what we're going to do is, as well as being investigated by the Italian authorities, uh, Juventus were being investigated by uh, by UEFA. And what Juventus said: Look, we're going to hold our hands up. Yeah, we 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 weren't uh, we weren't necessarily uh, particularly well behaved. Tell you what we will effectively voluntarily take a one-year ban from European competition. Hmm. And that will save you the cost of an investigation and you won't have to go and get the lawyers involved. We'll just say, okay, we, we weren't as good as we should have been. Give us a 12-month ban. We'll take it on the chin. Um, and the reason why they've done this, and we've seen this before from Italian clubs, is that they don't actually particularly want to play on a Thursday night yeah. and, and be going to Al- Albania and Uzbekistan and so on. Um because their main focus is that they'd actually worked out that they've got far a far better chance of finishing in the Champions League places if they're not distracted by what they perceive to be a European competition which is beneath them. So, so there's there's that with regards to Juventus. Um, we also have with regards to Juventus the the previous head of Juventus, um, Agnelli. Um, he has had his ban from football extended. I think it's to sixteen months mm-hmm. um, for his involvement. Yeah, the whole board of directors of, of Juventus resigned when they were uh, when they were put up before the beak. At the same time, vehemently denying that they'd ever done anything wrong. Which, which you know, it's a it's, it's a strange way to react. To. If you if you're if you're charged with something and you believe that you are innocent then you just act as if you were innocent. But to you know, resign en masse uh, does seem somewhat strange behaviour. And um, what's UEFA's response to this, Kieran? Because it seems to me to set a rather dangerous precedent if the bigger clubs in that tournament can say, well, we'd rather not, if that's OK. Well, it, it hasn't been confirmed yet. I mean, th- right. these are the reports that we've had coming through the newspapers. Right. I, I would imagine that UEFA will say it, it's less hassle for us Um 
and we, we will more than happily find uh, another club from Italy to take your place and just move on. I think it was one of the Milan clubs that did similar probably yeah. about three or four years ago. Uh, you know, you, if you Google uh, Italian football scandal, um, it, it does go on for quite a few pages. <laughs> well, also, it's, it's, it's not fair because you, know, you, you all have some of the smaller teams across Europe, and, and I'm too grown up to say like Brighton, but you know, who will be possibly looking forward to the drawing one of the mm. greatest names in European football, yeah. and they just arbitrarily decide that that's not an option. Uh, our last question, uh, uh, our last story, Kieran, rather, is an interesting one because it's one that crops up a lot in in questions, and it's about basically who owns the personal information about football players and and Thief Pro. Um, I've sort of decided what the answer to that is now. Yes, we, we, we ran a story uh, on a couple of occasions, and this was uh, to do with something called Project Red Card. Uh, and this is independent of FIFA Pro, but this was organised by uh, Russell Slade, who is a you know, Formula manager yeah. in, in, for a variety of clubs. And he was seeking £500 million in, in compensation for um, the, the use of players' data. Because I think you could argue that that data is personal and therefore it belongs to to the players. And, and this is the data which is effectively being sold either by clubs or by the the, the data crunching organisations. Um, yeah, it's it's sold to well, it used to be Electronic Arts that used to do the FIFA, but it's sold for computer games. It's sold to gambling companies. It can be packaged and repackaged and then sold on to uh, the, the the broadcasters because, you know, we, we now have uh, an intricate knowledge of of players in terms of, you know, their, their, their individual XGs and their recovery rates and their, their pressing in, you know, in the first 15 minutes versus the last 15 minutes. Well, ultimately, this this is, you know, personal Data, you know, it's a bit like saying, you know, are we going to sell, uh, you know, what is Kevin Day's favourite breakfast cereal? Um, we're going to sell that to to interested parties and make money on the back. You go, well, it's it's my choice. It's it's my breakfast cereal. Why are you making money on the back of this? So, so we had that from um, Russell Slade and Project Red Card, and now Fief Pro, the players' union, has said, well, we believe, and this comes under GDPR. Uh, protection for individuals. We believe that potentially the the organisations are not in a position to sell data about individuals, and we're going to build up a database, and we're going to allow the players to effectively either to protect their data from third parties, or alternatively, I suspect this is the route that will, they will go down. They will, if if you want the data about Cristiano Ronaldo, you've got to pay Cristiano Ronaldo for it. If you want the de- the details about that that uh, left back playing for. Uh, Exeter City, you you have to go to the individual because you're effectively you know prying into their their personal. You know, I, I wouldn't want my 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 details that go to you know if you go to hospital, you, you don't want those bandied around in public domain. Um, so so why sh- why shouldn't it be any of the same for for footballers? It, it's it's their career, it's their data, and they're trying to protect their own interests. Because I'm a generous man, Kieran, I'm I'm happy to provide the data on my favourite breakfast cereal for nothing. Uh, oh. And the answer is uh, I don't have a favourite breakfast cereal because I I don't like milk. I've, I don't drink. Oh, really? No, I hate it because when I was a small child on a, a school journey to Devon, 
a local farmer thought it'd be hilarious to pick on one of the South London kids and get them to drink milk straight from a cow's udder. Uh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's which, not nice, is it? How do you know? Because we we got a farm in Tipperary. I used to milk the cows every morning. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so no, I can't. I the the sight of I'll have a, a splash in tea, but the sight of milk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That warm milk's not good. Uh, it's warm milk with bits in it, Kieran. <laughs> a drunk a, an inch away from another. Ah, oh, terrible. Um, we do know the the answer to the question of what the Italian is for financial shenanigans because we we asked it before, but obviously I've forgotten. <laughs> um, all I do know is it's not Shenanigani, which is, I found slightly disappointing. And thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. We'll be back on Monday as normal, but with a, a questions pod. And then after that, we've got some specials for you for two weeks. Not some specials as in... Uh, members of the band but that would be good but if you have a question you'd like answered on the show email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and in the meantime I shall hand you over to Mr Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell well uh, thank you as always for all the support for the show Um, and for those that you've given us financial aid through Patreon it's absolutely amazing Uh, the the benefits are 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 Modest will be the first to admit, but if you want to listen to the show with no adverts, uh, if you want invites to the annual quiz, which, well, more than an annual quiz, um, you know, you're, you're perfectly entitled to go down that route. But there's another way that you can support the show, um, and, and that's to give us a review. It, it helps us uh, in the charts. Uh, you know, we have been as high as, as number seven mm. in, the, uh, in, in the Apple sports charts, which, which uh, yeah, for a niche show, is, uh, it, we're very honoured. Um, and, and it certainly helps us with those algorithms. By all accounts, it doesn't matter what you say as far as your review is concerned. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Jermaine Pennant and Carol Vorderman. And, and I'd listen to that. I think that would be a fascinating show, personally. It would be a very interesting show. They're both, in their own way, very interesting people, Kieran. That's all I have to say on that subject. <laughs> I'm for the